Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you tuned in. Another reminder to come back at 2 p.m. today for a special edition of Detroit Today, where we're going to welcome physicians to the studio to answer your specific questions about the coronavirus pandemic and the medical questions that I know lots of listeners have. Uh, We want to make sure you know what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, and especially what to do if you start to show what you think are symptoms of the coronavirus or if someone close to you is doing that. We will welcome two different physicians to the studio today. One of them is an ER doctor who will also give us a really close-up look at the unbelievable tragedy that is unfolding every day uh, in emergency rooms here in Southeast Michigan. So again, 2 p.m. today, special edition of Detroit Today. Bring your questions. Up next, the coronavirus pandemic has sent the United States into a huge economic meltdown. Drastic isolation and social distancing policies have put most of the economy into what looks like a pretty deep freeze. But some scholars say this physical isolation could also cause another type of recession a social recession. What are the longer-term social and psychological effects of so much of us keeping ourselves distant from our neighbors or our families for weeks or months at a time? Joining us now to talk about the long-term effects of social distancing is Eric Kleinberg. He's a professor of social science at NYU and author of the book, Palaces for the People, How Social Infrastructure Can Help Fight Inequality polarization, and the decline of civic life. Eric Kleinberg, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah. So uh, Eric is joining us uh, by Skype, uh, which is a cool way to do uh, interviews here in the in the era of coronavirus. Uh, first, we've been talking about how race and social class are sh- shaping the pandemic here in Michigan and across the country. This is something you have talked about recently as well. How do you see that manifesting uh, in this current situation? Uh, well, in countless ways, uh, look, uh, you know, we experience much of uh, our lives and the, and the world through social class or race, which is one of the ways that social class is lived in the United States. And uh, this uh, pandemic situation is no exception from that. Uh, we're seeing higher levels of incidence and then higher levels of vulnerability uh, once people do get the virus, uh, you know, depending on, on race and class. So this, like, like so many other uh, health crises in the United States, uh, is is fundamentally a story about uh, how we treat each other, and the kinds of fault lines that separate us during ordinary times become all the more apparent now. So, uh, here in New York, where you know, for instance, we're seeing that the the, the neighborhoods in Queens that have a lot of uh, working class people who re- remain out in the world uh, on the job are the neighborhoods that have the highest caseload, mm-hmm. um, and then those are also. Uh, Often people who have the, the, the worst access to, um, to, to good medical care. And so I'm very worried about this crisis compounding the inequalities that we're already struggling with. Uh, and here's an area where the only way we have a chance to, to get on top of this is to have you know, real leadership uh, from the federal government down. And we're just not getting that right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you were quoted in an Ezra Klein piece in Vox last month that talked about a looming, quote, social recession. What does that mean and what would it look like? Well, I think probably everyone listening today has a taste of what that means mm-hmm. and what it feels like. Uh, you know, we went from 
a society that uh, prized uh, social gatherings and uh, interactions face to face to one in which everyone is, is sheltering at home, or at least I, I wish more of us were sheltering at home, uh, but where we, where we need to be. And so, uh, you know, for many people, um, it, there's, the people are living alone at a rate that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, living alone now means being very isolated. Uh, in typical times, people who are living alone get out into public and have a lot of interactions that are quite fulfilling. Uh, now they are isolated, uh, home alone, and, and that means uh, often feeling anxious. It means feeling lonely. Uh, those feelings can lead to stress, and stress is one of the worst things for us uh, at this moment. It's, in, a, in a way, it's inescapable, but the more stress we feel, the more vulnerable we become to the virus and to bad consequences of it. So, so I think um, it's important for us to be talking about the economic recession, of course, is a, a massive problem that we're that we're just about to start facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there are real issues about the fabric of our social lives, the mental health issues that that come up, uh, and just the struggle to feel like we're in something together uh, when we're separated at our home. Yeah. So so one of the things that I've noticed uh, since all of this started is the the i guess human imperative to push back against this kind of dynamic in other words you tell people stay at home and stay safe and for the most part they do it but they they cannot suppress the instinct to try to make up for that lack of physical connection in in yeah. another way and so i i feel like in some ways we're seeing these really wonderful innovations, social innovations, can take place. Are those not sufficient substitutes, though, for the actual social interactions that we're able to, to indulge when, when things are normal? You know, look, I, I, I'm teaching uh, some courses right now at New York University where I'm a professor. Uh, we meet uh, face-to-face uh, during ordinary times. We're now on Zoom. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and I see a bunch of little tiles on a screen. Uh, with people's faces on them. Uh, I like to hang out with my friends, uh, have dinner and drinks with them at at night. And so, you know, I've got Skype on on an iPad and we pull it out and, uh, you know, we have happy hour uh, digitally now. Is that a substitute uh, that's adequate for FaceTime in real life? Uh, Not not for me. Um, If anything, this experience is making me feel like uh, I have a greater longing and appreciation for the face-to-face interactions that I think I took for granted before this. So uh, then, then I should say that, you know, back to our theme of inequality this morning, uh, I am so lucky to have home internet access. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I paid more right before I started hunkering down to get a, a stronger connection because I knew I would be teaching, my wife would be teaching, and our two kids would be in remote school. And our internet access wasn't going to sustain all of that. But I am unbelievably fortunate as a professor to be able to pull that off right now. And I think a lot of Americans don't have home internet access and they don't have an iPad that they can use for Skype uh, or, you know, machines that everyone can be on so they can all be in school together. And boy, our conversations at the policy level almost take for granted that people will have a level of privilege that, that frankly, most Americans don't have. And so what a luxury it is to be able to have these new digital tools. Um, but what do we need to be doing as a society uh, to make sure that, that more of us have access to it? So, so when this pandemic ends, isn't it time for us to be talking about uh, internet access as utility 
you know, the universal rights. How can you be a, a citizen and a member of our civil society at this moment uh, if you can't connect? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Eric Kleinenberg. He's a professor of social science at NYU and author of the book Palaces for the People, How Social Infrastructure Can Help Fight Inequality, Polarization, and the Decline of Civic Life. We're talking about the potential for a social recession as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. All of us staying at home and staying safe but staying away from each other, does that have a long-term effect on uh, our mental health, for instance? Does it have a long-term effect on our uh, physical health as the stress of social distancing uh, makes uh, us more vulnerable to diseases like coronavirus? Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what affects our physical distancing and isolation having on your life? What kinds of things are you doing to try to stay connected with other people? Uh, or have you reconnected maybe with friends and family members during this time using the internet? Do you feel like your relationships are suffering? Do you feel like your mental health is maybe suffering as a result of this? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I, I also wonder, Eric, if you can talk about how we fix this when we're done. In other words, are we doing uh, longer term damage to the social infrastructure that you write about? Uh, just by by indulging this, and if it if it goes on for a month or two months or three months, which is uh, what some uh, leaders are talking about doing, uh, what how do we come back to a space where people are able to sort of interact with each other? Does it does it make that tougher tougher to do? Well, I, I think there's going to be a transition period where we. You know, we, it becomes healthier to go back to something more like a normal situation, and it'll take us some time uh, to feel comfortable, you know, on the subway, in a classroom, in a shopping mall. Uh, things that we took for granted, I think, are going to take a little bit of time. But, but I think it's just a matter of time before we uh, go full bore into our old activities. And I think there's something about this experience that is generating an appetite for uh, social engagement. Um, and I would say something more. I, I, there's, there's something extraordinary about this moment because everything is up for grabs right now. I mean, I think we are about to enter into a period of profound social change. Um, I don't know what direction it's going to go in because I could see uh, a, a, an authoritarian push uh, from our president you know, who will try to suppress uh, the democratic process and establish as much power as he can. And autocrats around the world are trying to do that in the face of this crisis. But I also see something much more interesting and, for me, inspiring brewing, which is a kind of push from people uh, to, uh, to, to try to build some social solidarity, um, to build a sense of, uh, of commonality, uh, promote common goods. You know, things like uh, paid sick leave, which the United States is, is ashamedly uh, does not have right now. There's a push to make that part of our ordinary social policy. That, that would be a welcome change. There's a push to make sure that more people have access to health care. Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, guaranteed income. I mean, there are things on that. We're, we're about to spend trillions of dollars in the most expensive disaster relief uh, recovery uh, project in American history. And that could turn into an incredible boom for our solidarity and for our collective life. And of course, it could also turn into a giveaway uh, to <laughs> the people and corporations that have the most already. And so the strange thing about this moment is that an incredibly decisive set of political decisions uh, are being made in rapid time uh, in, in Washington, D.C., and will be made over the next several months and potentially years. At the moment, we know we don't have much of a public sphere. There's no, there's, there's no Zuccotti Park where people can come together and organize or march in the streets to say what we want. Um, but it's a, a profoundly important time for us to remake who we are and to set our values through policies. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that idea of us being perhaps on the brink of some massive change, I think, is something that's going through lots of people's minds. It's certainly going through mine right now. And the question about what shape it takes is so important because, as you point out, there will be instincts to to move in negative ways uh, as a result of this as opposed to trying to, to sort of strengthen the idea of, uh, of, of human progress. I, I want to go to the phones here uh, and get callers involved. Lola in Dearborn, what's on your mind? Hi, sir. How are you? Good. How are okay, you? Okay. Uh, what I wanted to say is that no matter what goes on, you're going to have negative people that are going to be negative, but we have more positive people like you, me, and everybody else. And like your uh, station person that we talked about it, that is just like this in life. There are some people that are going to be positive and some are negative. Mm. I mean, I'm a loner, but it doesn't mean that I don't want to be alone at some time, but sometimes I'll be around people and <laughs> sometimes I could can it. But, but when I'm out, people don't know who you are. You just deal with it and you move on. Mm. And so now you have to babysit yourself. That's the way life is. <laughs> So Lola, how are you? Uh, how are you adapting right now? Are you enjoying the the, the solidarity? I love, I love this. You know why? It's because people are sitting in a place to where now they have to think. Yeah. yeah. You know. See, in other words, nobody is around you. You can only be on the telly for a while before they move on because they're dealing with themselves. Yeah, so they don't want to talk about what they don't want to talk about. They want to, you know, they've been sitting for a minute here. Yeah. And so now things are not changing. And, you know, it's like, bam, I want this to change. You can't change it until God gets ready to change it. And unless you believe in a supreme being or whoever you are, you're in trouble yeah. anyway. Yeah. So you just have to sit in it. You know how they say you have to sit on your own pot. Well, they've got to sit on their own anatomy now. Yeah. Sit down and relax. <laughs> Lola, I appreciate the call and the, and the comments. Uh, uh, Eric Kleinenberg, professor of social science at NYU, I want to thank you for being here with us on Detroit Today via Skype. All right. That's going to do it for me this week. I will be back at 2 p.m. today for that special edition of Detroit Today where we're going to answer your medical questions about the coronavirus pandemic. And on Monday, you should join us for a conversation about what the economic meltdown will mean for cities' finances, including the finances here in the city of Detroit. Plus, the head of DTE Energy will, will join to talk about keeping the power on during the global pandemic. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.